This is my review of The Batman, the most recent adaptation of The Vigilante. Robert Pattinson marks the 10th time an actor has donned the role, and it was an exciting and beyond all else curious casting choice. The film is directed by Matt Reeves, who made his breakthrough film Cloverfield, the first handheld movie done on a larger scale. The film The Batman has only been out a couple of weeks and has already made back half its budget back in the opening weekend, which was a whopping $258 million, in case you're wondering. And it's also ranked 114 on IMDb, and it's only been out two weeks. I luckily saw the film two weeks ago, and many critics are calling this the best Batman film ever. This is my review on the film. The film, of course, also stars Andy Serkis, has Alfred, Zoe Kravitz, Colin Farrell, Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright, John Turturro, and Peter Sarsgood. The Batman finally lives up to its most famous nickname, The Dark Knight. The latest era of dark comic book movies is now starting to turn some heads in a more curious way than the initial DC Kickstarter films that Snyder regrettably attempted. After Todd Phillips' Joker in 2016, we're beginning to see a muggy, damped world in movies where doom and gloom is present in every street corner, and that, ironically, is the allure. Taking clear inspirations from the classics of the 70s, in particular Joker, which follows parallels of Taxi Driver, add Astra mirroring a space version of Apocalypse Now, and then we come to the Matt Reeves take on the Cape Crusader, which screams Blade Runner more sharply in the first 20 minutes and adds big drops of classic detective thriller flavours that competes, if not emulates, with Fincher's Zodiac and his 1995 career starter, Seven. Where the Batman succeeds is the clear diversion of the vision we're used to seeing when it comes to the vigilante, more specifically the alter ego of the billionaire playboy image of Bruce Wayne, something that has been done to death in Marvel's Iron Man and the impressive Christopher Nolan trilogy. In the classic story of good versus evil, or in layman's terms, superhero movies, the hero, the protagonist, have produced a stereotype that the level of acting required is minimal, just easy on the eye, and more recently, a body transformation. Take nothing away from these actors, other bodies of works have proved their acting capability, like Captain America's Chris Evans in Snowpiercer, or his fellow Marvel co-star Chris Hemsworth in Rush, but usually the evidence points the label that playing the hero restricts an actor's range. Batman is one of various examples to encourage this theory. Val Kilmer, who recently released his documentary on his life after battling throat cancer, Val, reminisced about the time he wasn't allowed to act or incorporate any of his own ideas into the Joel Schumacher reboot Batman Forever. Schumacher had an image and didn't allow any range on Val Kilmer's restricted take on Batman. The interest for acting range lies in the villains, which requires a complete physical and mental transformation to fully enter the psychosis or sometimes a deranged sociopath, unfortunately, to tragic ends. That's why names attached to the antagonistic roles in superhero movies tend to attract prestigious high-end calibers in the production like Oscar winners Jack Nicholson, Tommy Lee Jones, and more tragically Heath Ledger, and many more that branch away from the fictional city of Gotham. But where all takes on Batman have stayed stoic, rigid and reserved comes Matt Reeves' version in which he allows Pattinson full access to the shadowy side of this growing adolescence of the Dark Knight. He is allowed to enter into the mind of Batman for the entire film with grit, drive and serious mental motivations that allows Pattinson to do 
what no other Batman has actually really done before, which is rival the performance away from the usual show-stealing villains Gotham has to offer. That being said, though, the hype for the villains that it usually accumulates when a Batman movie is announced is severely misplaced. Colin Farrell has a knack for dipping his toes into interesting projects without inviting much prestigious attention. Maybe that bad boy persona he cemented himself in the 2000 periods is tough to shake off, but nonetheless, he's one to watch. Now, his transformation as mob boss Oswald Cobblepot, a.k.a. the Penguin, as truly fascinating as it is to watch, I fear the real fascination to this hype is having an attractive male play a sadistic, ugly antagonist made famous by Danny DeVito. The screen time is limited, which is quite impressive for a film hitting the three-hour mark, but I do feel his performance was airtight and the best it could have been. The expectation of seeing the villains explode into colour is held firmly at the start of the race, where the best indication of these characters being their alter egos are coffee logos and a tied-up mobster hobbling around like a penguin. The real food for thought, though, is considering the three-hour process it took Farrell to play Oswald, couldn't anyone literally play this role? Was John Goodman or Paul Giamatti occupied with other projects? Was it not trendy enough? Who knows? We then come to the very ambiguous Riddler, a role many were itching to see grace our screens again since Jim Carrey blew audiences away in the cult classic 1995 reboot Batman Forever. Slightly too on the nose, Paul Dano steps in as this enigmatic villain who riddles Gotham with his knowledge of the city's corruption. Like Javier Bardem in Skyfall, we eagerly anticipate the full appearance of the character, and more importantly, his face-to-face interaction with our protagonist, which finally releases Paul Dano from his typecast awkward shackles into an explosive overdue chance to break away from these typecast roles he plays so well, like in Villeneuve's Prisoners. As strong and as expectedly deranged as Dano is, and how on trend of having the Penguin being played by Glamour Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive, The real showstopper in this movie was John Turturro's take on Kingpin Carmine Falcone. The crudeness of his delivery in every scene he steals, and it's mesmerising, and it's a great watch, and it's one that is pivotal to the unlocking of Robert Pattinson's acting, where magic happens when these two share the screen. His familiarity and time in Hollywood have given audiences a dark horse favourite in this film, a role that he simply knocks out the park. The misplacement in the hype of seeing a Riddler, something like Jaws we don't properly see until the last quarter of the film, is easily corrected when Taturo's Falcone steps in to fill in this bullet-shaped expectations in our hearts to nerd over Batman villains. The calibre of his reputation is well-placed when he rises the level of this movie with his uncompromising performance. Taturo is a league of actors that can deliver in any role that may need rescuing, and like this one, some that do not. He casually steps in and manages to offer the audiences something else to mesmerise over besides Pattinson himself and the bleak backdrop of Gotham. For me, he is like the unexpected cherry on top of an amazing Sunday, and when actors of this calibre step in to play sub-roles in big-budget movies, they tend to remind us that the art of acting isn't lost in what Scorsese calls theme park movies. Speaking of Martin Scorsese, the man has raised the bar with movies pushing the three-hour mark with his whopping gangster epic Irishman pushing the three-and-a-half-hour mark, followed with a number of other familiar stories risking their audience attention span to fit more in, with Daniel Craig's final outing as Bond, No Time to Die clocking in at 2 hours 43 minutes in 2020, and Zack Snyder's re-release of Justice League in 2021 clocking in at an impressive 4 hours and 2 minutes. Binge-watching television shows have raised our attention span over the last five years where audiences have comfortably watched three to four one-hour episodes back-to-back in their own homes. 
and the research has shown it to be successful with No Time to Die, Justice League, and now the Batman proving that time is no issue when it comes to delivering the stories well. Despite Pattinson dominating the screen time, he wasn't the sole reason for the attention span. Yes, the expectations of the villains is lingering in our minds for their big entrance, but it's Zoe Kravitz's take on Selina Carlyle, aka Catwoman, that contends heavily with Pattinson's Batman. Their chemistry is subtly preserved, but it's clear as day that there is this underlying sexual tension in the background that never explodes in the movie, and rightfully so. Reeves does an excellent job in the ever-complex relationship between Batman and Catwoman, and has undoubtedly left it with more room to shatter in a potential sequel. Kravitz is justly cast in a role that breaks away from the Pfeiffer Hathaway normality of Catwoman, but just enough for audiences to see this new attitude she aggressively re-establishes into the anti-hero. The Batman may very well reignite a realistic argument into this underground rivalry that DC had with their vibrant, bursting competition Marvel movies that are in plain sight from just about everywhere, but Matt Reeves may have just convinced a few neutrals into the DC corner that may introduce and sell this new hype that hasn't been associated with DC before since 2005 when Nodus gave us Batman Begins, and we all know how that turned out. Thank you.